Welcome back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast, where each week we critically analyze one paper in the medical literature. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and today is episode 16, The Trial of Tocilizumab in Giant Cell Arteritis. This was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in July of 2017 by Stone et al. So I'm excited to talk about this paper because it's really the first trial in giant cell arteritis to show benefit from one of our fancy new drugs. It's a very well-designed trial and one that's changed my practice. So for background, giant cell arteritis is the most common of the vasculitides. It's a large vessel vasculitis that happens in patients who are over 50 years old. The classic symptoms are a headache, vision loss, and jaw claudication. Underappreciated symptoms include polymyalgia rheumatica, aortic aneurysms, myocardial infarctions, and strokes. The mainstay of treatment for giant cell arteritis has been steroids. And not just a little steroids, steroids for a long time. There are two main issues with giant cell arteritis. The first is that some patients irreversibly lose their vision. This is obviously a devastating complication and the reason that we're so quick to give steroids to try to prevent it. The other issue with giant cell arteritis is that even though we can often get the symptoms under control, patients flare frequently. This winds up giving a lot of steroids to folks who are over 50 who certainly don't need all the complications that come with steroids, including diabetes, weight gain, and of course osteoporosis. For those reasons, this disease carries a relatively high morbidity. Until this trial, our main treatment was steroids and some sort of steroid-sparing agent, such as methotrexate. There really hasn't been good data supporting these practices, but with no other options, we're playing the hand we've been dealt. A couple issues before we begin talking about the trial design. The first is that there really is no validated way to score giant cell arteritis activity. In small vessel vasculitides, we have the Birmingham vasculitis activity score. In rheumatoid arthritis, we have, well, you know, a dozen different scoring systems. In lupus, there's the sleedi. But in giant cell arteritis, despite it being so common, there's no validated scoring system. Another issue is that tocilizumab, the trial drug, essentially normalizes your CRP. This presents two problems. The first is that it introduces the problem of surrogate endpoints, which I'll discuss. The second is that it makes it pretty easy for people to be unblinded to whether a patient's getting placebo or the treatment drug. So with that being said, let's talk about this trial. So this was a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled phase 3 trial on tocilizumab, an IL-6 inhibitor, in the treatment of giant cell arteritis. To be included in the trial, patients had to be 50 years old, they had to have active giant cell arteritis within 6 weeks of the baseline visit, and they had to have an elevated ESR that had been attributed to giant cell arteritis. Disease activity was defined as unequivocal evidence of cranial symptoms of giant cell arteritis, or PMR, and increased concentrations of acute phase reactants, the ESR and the CRP. The diagnosis was based on a temporal artery biopsy, but this was not required. You could also have imaging features showing large vessel vasculitis on angiography, MRI, or PET scan. The next part gets a little bit confusing. There are actually four different groups. The first group got tocilizumab for 26 weeks and 26 weeks of a steroid taper. The second group got tocilizumab every other week for 26 weeks and a 26-week steroid taper. The third group got subcutaneous placebo and a 26-week taper. And the fourth group got subcutaneous placebo and a 52-week taper of steroids. So you can see they're asking and answering a couple different questions here. Is tocilizumab better than placebo? Is a short taper better than a long taper? 
and how often do you need to get tocilizumab? Exclusion criteria were relatively straightforward. You couldn't receive pulse-dose steroids within six weeks uh, before baseline, and steroids at baseline had to be between 20 and 60 milligrams per day. Now, given the concerns I mentioned earlier about the CRP and how that causes issues with blinding, they actually had an independent laboratory assessor monitor all of the laboratory variables. So the investigators themselves and the people who were talking to the patients were blinded to the CRP. It's a pretty interesting study design and a nice thing that they did to try to maintain the fidelity of the study. Disease assessment was done at each visit. Flare disease was determined by the efficacy assessor, so not necessarily the physician who has seen the patient. It was defined as recurrence of symptoms or signs of giant cell arteritis or as an elevation of the ESR to 30 or more per hour that was attributable to giant cell arteritis. Remission was designed as the absence of the flare, which we just talked about, and the normalization of the CRP concentration. Sustained remission was that remission from week 12 through 52 and adherence to the prednisone taper. Already, you can start to see where there could be a problem with this trial. If you're defining flares by an elevation of an ESR, and you're defining remission by the normalization of CRP, all of your endpoints are now two things. One, they're highly dependent on inflammatory markers, and two, they're essentially surrogate endpoints. If you ask a patient, what's your ESR, they're not going to tell you. If you ask a patient if they care very much about where their ESR is headed, they probably don't unless you've told them a lot about it. More to the point, if tocilizumab simply treats the ESR but doesn't actually fix the underlying inflammation of the vessels, then perhaps this endpoint doesn't reflect the things we really do care about, such as preventing blindness or death. In fairness to the authors, in my clinical practice, I do track these inflammatory markers, and I will think of a patient as flaring if they have elevations in their inflammatory markers and really anything else that convinces me that their disease is active. Endpoints were good ones. The primary endpoint was sustained prednisone-free remission at week 52 between the tocilizumab group and the placebo group that underwent the 26-week taper. This is a nice endpoint because sustained prednisone-free remission is a patient-centered outcome. Patients don't like being on prednisone, and we know it's not good for them. So being off prednisone is good no matter how you slice it. Quick caveat is that their definition of relapse is probably going to influence whether or not people got prednisone, and their monitoring board seeing CRP go up in the placebo group is probably going to influence whether or not people got prednisone. But all the same, I think it's reasonable. Key secondary endpoints were sustained remission at week 52 between each of the tocilizumab groups and the 52-week prednisone taper. They had some other endpoints that included prednisone dose over the 52-week period, the incidence of the first flare after remission, and quality of life changes. This was also large enough to assess safety in tocilizumab, although to be fair, there have been a number of large RA trials that have already looked at this. Like I said at the beginning, this is a well-designed trial, and the statistics were all very appropriate. So with that said, let's get into the results. So overall, 353 patients were screened, 251 were enrolled, 100 were assigned to the tocilizumab weekly group, 50 were assigned to the tocilizumab every other week group, 50 were assigned to placebo for a 26-week taper, and 51 were assigned for a 52-week taper. There were between 5 to 9 patients dropping out per 50 patients in each group, but ultimately something like 86% completed the trial. Honestly, those are pretty good numbers. Who got into this trial? It's your standard academic patient group with giant cell arteritis. They're 70 years old on average, 
The majority were actually female. The majority were white by a pretty wide margin. Giant cell arteritis was newly diagnosed in half and relapsing in half, which I actually really like. It kind of extends the utility of this trial into both groups. Although to be fair, that means that the power for either group wasn't as high as you'd expect. Prednisone dose was split evenly. About half the patients were under 30 and half were over 30 on enrollment. And we know that they had to be between 20 or 60, so that tells you that it was about even. Disease duration was quite long. 80% had cranial signs or symptoms, which makes sense. And 60% had polymyalgia rheumatica. Diagnosis was mostly through means of a temporal artery biopsy, anywhere from 57 to 72%, depending on which group of the trial. And as far as imaging is concerned, something like half had positive imaging. So with that out of the way, we might as well cut to the main results. In the tocilizumab weekly group, 56% of patients were in sustained remission at week 52. This is against 55% in the every other week group, 14% in the 26-week taper, and 18% in the 52-week taper. Those are pretty impressive numbers when you get down to it. In the secondary outcome of the unadjusted rate of difference in sustained remission between the tocilizumab groups and the 52-week taper, in the weekly tocilizumab group, it was a 38% improvement. In the tocilizumab every other week group, it was a 35% week improvement. These were all highly significant. Now, as I said earlier, I do take some issue with the dependence of this trial on the CRP and the ESR. Those are not patient-centric outcomes, and they do raise the possibility, although there's no real evidence of this, that we were just treating a number. Perhaps tocilizumab impacts the CRP and the ESR, but doesn't actually improve the vascular inflammation. That's kind of far-fetched, but to be fair, you have to leave it out there as a possibility. The authors, clearly understanding this, did a sensitivity analysis where they looked into sustained remission, excluding the normalization of the CRP concentration with adherence to protocol-defined prednisone dose at 52 weeks. I really like that because that, to some degree, mitigates the issue of these surrogate endpoints. In the sensitivity analysis, the weekly tocilizumab group had 59% of patients in sustained remission at week 52. In the sensitivity analysis, again excluding the CRP, the every other week group had 55%, the placebo group only 20%, and the placebo at 52-week taper group 33%. So then if you just compare the difference of those, the tocilizumab weekly group, as compared against the 26-week taper, had a 39% difference, and a 26% difference against the 52-week taper. The tocilizumab every other week group, a 35% difference against a 26-week prednisone placebo group, or a 22% difference against the 52-week prednisone placebo group. Those are a lot of numbers, so I think that to be fair, the effect of tocilizumab should be compared against the strongest amount of prednisone that we would prescribe. So if we compare weekly tocilizumab against 52-week taper of prednisone, we have an absolute risk reduction of 26% in the sensitivity analysis. I really like that. That gives you number needed to treat of four patients. You need to treat four patients to have sustained remission by week 52 with weekly tocilizumab. Not bad, all in all. Another secondary endpoint was the cumulative prednisone dose. This again dramatically favored tocilizumab. The median milligrams of prednisone in the weekly tocilizumab was 1,862. It was the same in the every other week tocilizumab group. It was 3,296 in the placebo 26-week taper 
and 3,818 in the placebo 52-week taper. So you're saving your patients about 2 grams of prednisone by using tocilizumab. And the number of patients you need to treat to keep one in remission is four. Those are honestly really good numbers. There's a lot more analysis that was done here. They looked at a number of quality of life measures. All of them favor the tocilizumab groups by a pretty wide margin. As far as safety is concerned, there are actually more adverse events in the placebo group, most likely because they got more prednisone. The most frequent adverse event was an infection, with roughly 4-7% of serious infections in the tocilizumab groups and 12% in the prednisone groups. There were no deaths in the trial, there was one stroke, and only one episode of anterior ischemic optic neuropathy. Again, this trial just wasn't quite powered to detect those differences. A lot of that is because of the rarity of this disease. To be totally honest, it's pretty impressive that they got 251 patients into a trial on giant cell arteritis at all. So you can't really fault them for not looking at these more important patient-centered outcomes. It's a weakness of the study, but this is the most patients that has ever been studied in giant cell arteritis. So you still have to give the authors credit for pulling off quite an accomplishment here. So let's bring it all together. This was a very large, randomized, placebo-controlled, double-blind study of tocilizumab against placebo. The things I like about this study is that it was large, it was well-designed, and the outcomes were the kinds of things that we use in clinical practice. I do maintain some concerns about the fact that these are surrogate outcomes. The CRP and the ESR are just not something that patients care about. And even though I am pretty confident that a CRP is strongly correlated with the degree of vascular inflammation, there have been case reports of patients who have normalized their CRP and then an autopsy still had a lot of vascular inflammation. It may be in the future that we see that in a large enough cohort, even with the normal CRP on tocilizumab, Patients are still having ocular events, they're still having aortitis, and they're still having meaningful vascular inflammation. That being said, that's a pretty far-fetched critique of this trial. A number needed to treat of four to keep one patient in remission at 52 weeks and to reduce the cumulative dose of prednisone by two grams is something that I would definitely want for all of my patients. Tocilizumab was generally very well tolerated, and to be honest, the people who didn't get tocilizumab had more adverse events. Again, probably related to a higher cumulative dose of prednisone. For these reasons, this trial has impacted my clinical practice. I definitely consider using tocilizumab in anyone who has giant cell arteritis, and to be honest, I've been putting pretty much everyone on it. There's been a concern about tocilizumab increasing the risk of hyperlipidemia. There have been a couple recent reports where they compared tocilizumab to a tanercept and tocilizumab to a batacept that showed that even though the lipids go up, there doesn't seem to be any actual increased risk of cardiovascular disease. That is a patient where you would perhaps consider not using tocilizumab, but again, decreasing the risk of cumulative prednisone by 2 grams seems probably worth a little bit of hyperlipidemia. All in all, I think this is a pivotal trial that will be affecting our practice for years to come. That's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week when we discuss the pivotal trial in scleroderma research that resulted in all of this fear over prescribing prednisone. Thanks again for listening. Hope you all have a great week.